Hi, I'm Brandon. Hi, I'm Wendy. We reread stuff. Okay, so the moat in God's eye. Oh, boy, this is going to be a good one. I can already tell. I can already tell. Yeah. Should I begin with an apology? <laughs> well, how long has it been since you last read this, since you chose it for this recording? Yeah, wow, that was a choice. Um, <laughs> past Wendy has some things to answer for. So it had to, I can't pinpoint it because I wasn't using Goodreads way back then, but it has to have been, let's say, 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of remember the house I was in at the time, and it was kind of early days for really kind of checking out some classic science fiction. It was something, you know, Adam kind of remembered from his childhood, and so I remember reading it. I remembered like maybe two things from it, and I uh, <laughs> believe that I forgot a bunch of key stuff. What about you? <laughs> um, well, so this was not the first Nevin and Purnell that I read. I had read and loved Lucifer's Hammer when I was in high school. And then I, I read some Niven. I never read any of Purnell's solo stuff. So I read this about 20 years ago also. And I read the sequel. And I read one of their uh footfall i think was another one i think of their... i read that one too but yeah so uh, also about 20 years had fond memories sure did not expect this to be as difficult of a read as it was oh my gosh i mean i think i've told you before but like larry niven is someone that i kept thinking Ringworld bored me to tears i could not make <laughs> it through so for years i mixed that up with pratchett's disc world mm. and was wondering why do people like it <laughs> So bad. I'm glad I didn't try to call anybody out. Like, why do you like that dry, boring thing? Who? So yeah. Um, so that's my only. I don't think I read any other Niven. I think it's only been teamed up with, with Purnell, but uh, never again. <laughs> I think we should probably say um, we have never met Larry Nevin. Oh yeah. Neither one of us ever met Jerry Purnell. Nope. So this is not about them. This is just the only experience we have with them is through their work. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I have no axe to grind or anything. I, I think Scuttlebutt is maybe you know, not in the best standing in a lot of places. But no, I just I just have this experience reading. So. And what an experience. I took some notes because there were some things on here that I thought were interesting, just on the, like the outside cover. This was nominated for the 1975 Hugo Nebula and Locus Awards. It lost the Hugo and the Locust to Ursula K. Le Guin's Dispossessed, okay. which I have not read. I mean, I've read other Le Guin, but mm -hmm. I haven't read that one. Uh, and it lost the Nebula to the Forever War. Oh, wow. Well, we, we've gone through that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it fits well with the Forever War as something from that period. I think we should say, while this is very much of its time, I don't think that excuses anything in it. Both of these guys were, I think, uh, right around... Oh, I, I didn't make a note. So Niven was 36, Purnell was 41 when this was published. And these were not young, inexperienced people. They were adults. And this was, I would imagine, they're very reflective of their worldview at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what was it? I think, was it Highland that did some editing on it? I think. Um, I know he at least did a, a pull quote for it. I don't mm -hmm. know about editing, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. He said something like, this is one of the best science fiction novels ever written. Right, which I think is hilarious because, I again, like Wikipedia-style knowledge is I'm pretty sure he had a good hand in like pushing the project along. So, mm. you know, I guess, like, sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, like many of us would. I had suggested it to read because I think we were talking a little bit about like the delights of Becky Chambers and I was thinking how cool like first contact stuff can be. And so that was one thing. I thought, oh, yeah, like let's, you know, maybe like check out a classic kind of uh, first first contact kind of novel. And I should have looked at my shelf, first of all, because I actually do have a physical copy of this. I did not think when I said it, like, oh, let's do it. <laughs> but it was going to be 500 pages or whatever it is. So. 560. But yeah. I, who's counting? Who counted every page? <laughs> right. Yeah. Oof. I don't know. Where do you want to start? <laughs> what, did you, what was your first impression as you started to read? Do you remember? Well... Rod Blaine is not a great, you know, name. So I, actually, I think that 
I was looking at it because I was not familiar. This is built from like Purnell's universe. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I looked that up after I had finished reading it. I didn't realize that either. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, it just looked like they had a world built. I didn't know the relationship, but I liked, I kind of thought the timeline was fun. Like if you sort of say like, oh, here's a bunch of history. Mm-hmm. And so I like, you know, like looking at that and saying, oh, that was kind of a fun way to do that without realizing that it was referencing, right? Like a whole maybe right. series of, of books or something. I did laugh a little bit because... You know, it's the, oh boy, like, could we have any, like, kind of built up thing that doesn't have, was it Roman? I don't even remember what it was, but, you know, like, just the really clear kind of analogs to, you know, like, American or, you know, world history. And and then I was also like, get over it. It was, you know, the 70s, you know, so it maybe was not quite as tired then. But, like, the Leonid, I don't know, I just kind of laughed a little bit at, at some of that. So initially, it was like, okay, like, let's... Let's get into this. And then it, it lost me pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. My first impression, I actually wrote down first impression. This feels like a World War II Navy vessel, not a starship, 1,000 years in the future. And I made that note in here, in my notes, so many times. A thousand years, and Scots still have an accent. Uh, a coded message wound off its tape reel a thousand years in the future. You've got things like every planet in this empire, whatever it is, is like one nationality or ethnicity of humans, and it has not changed in a thousand years. And so that was one of the things that I actually had the hardest time with in this book, is not that they're going to find aliens, but it's just the absolute failure of imagination on a thousand years in the future you could have said all right in 1955 somebody discovered faster than light travel and these people are from 1965 i would have bought that Mm -hmm. sure but wow yeah having the sort of british navy (laughs) like the way that that runs and have that be a system that lasts for so many years yeah and the the aristocracy just that was yeah it was boring and I kept thinking, and maybe this isn't fair, but I thought, really? So, was it Sinclair, right? Like, was he the... the Scott. The, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so is he Scotty? Like, It really felt like they love Star Trek. Kind of. But, like, you didn't take any of the... I mean, Scotty is a fine character, right? But if it's, like, no other, I don't know, changes or doing anything with it, it's just like, sure, we'll have this bad dialect and these characters and uh, yeah so that wasn't interesting at all and from the get-go I I didn't like the character of Captain Rod or whatever his rank was and I couldn't I couldn't decide what I thought we were supposed to feel about him until it was like oh no I think we're supposed to think he's great and (laughs) didn't I struggled in the same way he's terrible He's a 1972 man's man, absolutely. I had myself half convinced this was supposed to be a satire. And then I went, and I think it may have been, yeah, I I think it may have been the stuff that is on the back cover where it says that the mode in God's eye is their acknowledged masterpiece, an epic novel of mankind's first encounter with alien life that transcends the genre. Uh, maybe in 1974 when this is published. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think so, though. I, I think there were probably... it. I don't know a whole lot about like 1960s new wave science fiction, but I think they were probably doing things that were a lot more interesting with alien life than this book. Yeah. It, it was just such a, such a disappointment. And I think... So part of it was... The one thing that I remembered was I think it's the title of the second book, which mm-hmm. is the like the one hand on the other hand on the gripping hand. I spent this whole damn novel <laughs> waiting for the gripping hand and it was not there. There was a, a lame joke uh, somewhere, you know, where it's like, oh, well, ha ha, they do that. And then like the, the alien with the three arms is, you know. And I think it was only in maybe, was it the epilogue where they finally got into maybe a little bit of details about the hand language, like the gesture language that they had and actually like reading it for any kind of nuance. And I thought, well, that would have been so much more interesting <laughs> than a lot of what we actually got. It just dragged. Yeah. 
And I was really surprised. And again, like I kind of think about like showing like 70s movies mm-hmm. to younger people and they're just not used to the slow burn. Right. But sometimes they're great, right? And you're like, okay, I get it. Like it takes a long time to wind up. I was trying to put myself in that mindset, but I don't I don't think it worked. No, I thought it was dragging really bad in the beginning. And the way I find the way it finally ended up for me, there's like two hundred pages. And then there are some very interesting things when they get to uh, things actually happening in the moat system. And there's the big uh, fight where they lose the MacArthur. Yeah, a thousand years in the future, their ships are the MacArthur and the Lennon. Sure. <laughs> I did laugh at that pretty hard. <laughs> you know, we could talk about a thousand years in the future for an hour. But, you know, they have the, the action sequences, which I thought were really very good. And then you get to after that and it slows back down again and drags you all the way to the end yeah yeah i just so in the beginning i was getting the feeling that they might have been communicating things that i don't even know how to say it like i don't care about this stuff Mm -hmm. and i'm fine with hand waving that so i have to be really careful as an audience member to see this kind of thing that's like i don't care about drives i don't care about spaceships i don't i don't really care about the details and it felt like they were doing that work and i could see where that could speak to like another kind of reader or maybe during that time like that would capture your imagination so i was trying to roll along with it but i i really just did not care about any of it and then the the culture stuff was old-fashioned mired in even even taking the sexism and all of that kind of stuff aside, I just didn't think it was very interesting. Like the political machinations were pretty weak. Like oh yeah, um, one of my early notes in here is that this feels like a jocks versus nerds setup, oh where the navy are the jocks and the scientists are the nerds, and. I thought it might partially be due to the point of view, because you're largely in Rod's point of view for most of this, but it really feels like Niven and Purnell were on the side of the jocks, the Navy. Like every time the scientists say something, well, they're getting in the way, they're causing problems, they don't understand what's going on, they don't really understand, you know, the military situation or the risks. And, and like, these are supposed to be the greatest scientists from an empire, right? Oh, no, they're idiots who don't understand what's going on. Yeah, they just care about what was it dust or they just they were just focusing on stupid stuff. But that rod guy was so dumb. There were like so many times, where, just shut up. Just I don't even remember the specific instance, but there was something really important to communicate. Maybe it was about like when they were sort of looking at the the church of him, and it was the or we saw this signal, or there was something that they needed to communicate. And I mean, first of all, it's like just lead. You know who you're dealing with. Don't. Don't bury the lead on this guy. <laughs> but also, he just would not shut up, and he kept saying stupid things. And I just, there's not a lot of times where I will actually just yell, oh my gosh, shut up. But I did, you know, at him. So it wasn't like he was putting things together. So it just was was weird. And I don't know if that was, what's it? Oh, I should have written it down. Is it Renner? Right, the guy that saves all of humanity. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So I'm wondering if it's the, you know, he's the, the really cool character, right? Because, mm. you know, he's not with the stupid jocks and he's not really a nerd. He's like a, a cool skeptic guy. <laughs> <sighs> Man. So yeah, so the, the pacing was weird. The Okay, and then when you get to the, just the casual, I have to say it, like, Rather than just saying screw them or something, he has to go rape them. Yeah. And that, at that point, I thought, oh, oh no. Because there's no good reason for it. I tried doing a little bit of research about that. Now, I could be completely wrong. This was written at a time well before the internet. Who knows what... I thought maybe this is common occurrence on some like actual Navy ships. I, I did not find anything related to that it seems like a thing they have just come up with so they don't have to say fuck you mm-hmm. which 1974 you could say that if you want you can get it printed maybe their editor didn't like it i don't know right but that was the word that was acceptable to them yeah and that's i guess where i so if they were trying to like get by censors terrible choice yes right terrible. 
if they were trying to be edgy, <laughs> terrible people. <laughs> yeah. Or just, again, a bad choice. There was nothing. And I think it was, it the way that it was put in there, it felt like it was just nonchalant. Yeah. And just, I don't care what time period it was. I just thought that was, it only happened maybe two or three times. But you know, that's two or three times too many. I think it's very clear they were not writing for women to read this book. No, no. I mean, you've got that. You've got a female human character in the book. With a name. I, I think maybe there's a couple of minor characters. They mention like her maids or something. Right. And they, like, they mention their names to them, but certainly they're not actual characters. They specifically at one point say she is the only woman among a thousand plus men on this mission. And there are so many problems with that. I did not catch from the material in the beginning. I did not read the timeline like super closely. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch, and maybe this is one of those things where if you had read some of the other stuff that Purnell had been writing, it might have been clear. But there were not as many women as men in general among the humans okay. as a result of the secession wars. But again, that is a choice that at least one of these two guys has made. Yeah, yeah. It just, and her. Well, her character had all the problems that you might expect, right, <sighs> from from that portrayal and the just casual ogling. Because I'm pretty sure the first like rape him kind of thing was right after he was lamenting that her jumpsuit or whatever with the gravity was a you know oh it's too bad that mm. those skirts aren't shorter or whatever it was. It was just kind of like gross, and I'm used to just sort of you know it didn't endure his character to me at all. Uh, and so it just was kind of, uh, and then, you know, when she's weak and this and that, and she comes in there like traumatized and just sort of, uh, I don't know why. Yeah, I have got note after note. Again, don't think they care if any women ever read this book. Oh, yeah. But they put all of these terrible things in that character's mouth, where Sally explains how useless pregnant human women are. And uh, Sally explains how proper women don't use birth control. And Sally talks about how lovely it would be to be the ornament for the right kind of man. And just all through the book, she is ignored and marginalized, even though she is a scientist as well. But, I mean, she's not a jock, so why would the Navy give a shit what she thinks? And then the marriage, where there's been no... They're on this mission for 10 months. There's been no contact between the Empire at home and the ships because they're whoever knows how far away. And the first thing they get is a fucking telegram full of stops and paragraphs a thousand years in the future where her uncle is asking if they've gotten engaged yet because he's just assumed that's what's going to happen on this mission. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'd just like you to ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Just shut up, Sally. Uh, Shut up, Rod. You deserve each other, but goodness, yeah. So even once they get back to the Empire and they're on the council and they're having these hearings, Sally is the only woman. They don't add any other woman characters. I have a note here where I wonder, did they write a draft with no women? And someone pointed that out? And so they had to have Sally and then a love interest. And I don't know. It's possible. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. When you've got one character out of however many are in this book, it's possible. Right. Also, I think it's it. Maybe it was convenient for the. I had completely forgotten the big reveal about the aliens, <laughs> and sure. so I guess you know if you're going to get into procreation and you could start talking about that, that maybe. And it's also nicely convenient. It's like, oh yeah, go out there and show them, show them what we got, and, and we need at least one model so that they can see male and female. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. No, I completely, completely forgot about that thing. And that just started to, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking through it. It just started to feel really bad. And I think it was because it was probably tied up with the proper women don't do this. Mm-hmm. And So you're, you're talking about the, oh. the way the Modis cannot control their sexual drive. Exactly. And have to have children or die. Yes, yeah. Have to have multiple children and keep having them or die. Yeah. So that felt gross. And then it just, I don't know about, it just started to feel a little, 
like bad stuff on earth, population things, xenophobia. I don't know. It just started. It wasn't maybe directly on the page, but given all the other junk on there, I just thought this doesn't feel good at all. Um, and again, what they tried like some sort of week, like, well, we tried hormonal birth control at some point, but that just didn't work right. or like, really, you know what your problem is. So what's the deal? And I, no, I just, it just felt icky. <laughs> well, it, I think it's a continuation of that failure of imagination. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't have the exact date, but that, what was it, like the population bomb or the population explosion was the, the real, like, mainstream introduction to the concept of uh, overpopulation on the earth. And I think that came out in, like, the late 60s. Mm-hmm. So then you've got this as a response to that, where it, it seems like Niven and Purnell sat down over some whiskey and cigars and just decided, hey, if we were going to write a novel and this was the central idea, what else could we do with that? Mm-hmm. But it's also a part of the Forever War, which was the exact same time period yeah. where you've got the ridiculous population numbers and then the crash and then the increase and then the crash. So it, clearly it was part, it was on people's minds. It was, it was something that writers were trying to grapple with at the time. Possibly the two least subtle guys in the world to try and <laughs> right, write about yeah. That. So I'm trying to think if they're, like, I can't recreate. I mean, I guess it's one of those reread things where I had, like, a couple of impressions. I had not remembered specifics. I was probably, like, early days of sort of looking at, like, oh, you know, here's a, I don't know about foundational, but, you know, like, something where I was like, oh, okay, a classic, sure, I'll, like, read it. I imagine I didn't love it, but mm-hmm. there were, you know, but I, again, I remember that one concept, which maybe I did read The Gripping Hand, or maybe I just picked it up. I don't think it couldn't have been that much better, but you know, so I think I just like filled in, right? Like gaps. And then I did remember, you know, a little something about it, but mainly like impressions. But this time around, I don't know if it's because, you know, it's fresh in my memory. I don't know if it's because I've read so or watched so many really great first contact, cool aliens, you know, that I didn't have like any sort of sense of like, oh, this is really, this is really cool. And I talked about, like, I don't care about the science of it, but I just can't see how, like, the watchmakers and the engineers even work. That feels like magic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they they didn't put a lot of detail in there because it would have required them to really consider how that was going to work. You know, I kind of get the underlying idea. I think it's pretty ridiculous, but... That's what you're going to get with them. The lack of wonder, I, I have a note in here. The sheer lack of wonder at alien contact. Idiots and assholes. All they care about is their coffee maker. If an alien creature is going to be put in their bedroom, or their stateroom, I'm sorry, they're on a naval ship, on their stateroom, and it might mess up their bed. Like, these people just don't give a shit about the first alien contact ever yeah yeah and that was pretty good oh we spotted this you know then it's like well let's just cobble together yeah a bunch of dipshits and like throw them out into space no training you have one anthropologist but it doesn't look like anybody there's no linguists there's no no mediators on their end just yeah like greedy also i mean i'm sorry why was like what was it the the, the traitor guy. Yeah, exactly. Barry. I'm sorry, Barry. I knew yeah. where you were going. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, there was no good reason at all for him to be there except for racism? I, uh, I mean, racism. You got to get some of that in there, sure. <laughs> he was suspected of sedition against the imperial government yeah. and bankrolling rebels. And they're like, oh, well, we've got this alien contact we have to go do. Right. We, we'll, we'll just keep him on the ship and drop him off later. Right, because we're on this other planet. Weren't they on a planet? Like, figure they... You, you cannot tell me there's, there's like no place you could have stored that dude. It was so... Just dumb. You know, not even, like... And it's not like you could, like, oh, I couldn't have figured that out. It's not subtle, right? It was just an overtly ridiculous move and it didn't lead anywhere okay the only thing that it led to was the one part that i really enjoyed what the best image in the whole book (laughs) yes yes when 
the MacArthur's going down and those watchmakers are everywhere. I'm sorry. I am lived for the creepy space suit where they used his head as a spoiler. It was so great. It was so great. I was like, yes, they used the guy's head. as like a little American. Yeah. Well, there's like three watchmakers in a space suit with a decapitated head as a decoy. Incredible. <laughs> Right. Absolutely loved it. Right? Three raccoons in a trench coat. <laughs> like, like, just so great. I mean, that is one solid good page out of the 560 right. well, that are in Well, you here. know what? Like, I, <laughs> I was there for it. I'm going to live that victory. But So I'm glad, I guess, that that character is going to be haunted to the end of his days by that. I mean, that would mess you up. So oh, yeah. I thought that was great. I mean, I did think that it was very silly to have these little creatures with lasers. <laughs> Um, but again, like, yeah, like the, at least something was happening Yeah, and it was not just, yeah. Burry was ridiculous. He was another part of the obsession with coffee in this book Mm -hmm. as he is personally obsessed with coffee and was leading like coffee tastings on the ship Mm -hmm. and... The, you had the other characters that were concerned about the coffee maker, and that he was concerned about the coffee maker that the aliens had souped up because it it removed the oils from the previous day's grind. I mean, just the things that these people are interested in. You're absolutely right. There was no reason for him to be on that ship. Really, it's it's all plot related, and I guess it's what they thought was important. They needed somebody there. So when the ship got back to the Empire, they would have somebody arguing against continued contact and trade. Mm-hmm. And it's a person who you would not expect because of that experience that he has. Right. Yeah. Boy, it was just so... <laughs> it was just very, very clumsy. And I don't... I don't... Well, I guess I shouldn't say like I don't remember that because, of course, I really didn't remember much of anything. But it was... Just very disappointing. So, the Modis. Mm-hmm. You've got the little ones, the watchmakers. You've got the Browns, who are, I guess, engineers. You've got the masters and the mediators and the warriors and the meat, which <laughs> that cracked me up. Yeah. Um, they really feel like the bad guys in a video game. They are carbon copies of one another. It's like, okay, on this level, you're going to fight like five Browns and two engine or five engineers and, you know, two soldiers. But then when you get to a higher level, you got to fight a master and 10 soldiers. It felt like they were all carbon copies of a single form. They had no clothes. They had no variation. They did not have any real human personality, which is not terrible, right? You want in some types of science fiction, your aliens to be very alien. And that's one of the things that I think is an interesting idea in this book, is you've got alien aliens, and you have got humans who continuously ascribe human motivations to them and are always wrong. And that is neat. That interplay between the scientists thinking, well, this is what they have shown us and I trust them and no human would do this versus the military who have not also not seen any military capability, but they're like, well, they're just hiding it because that is what a human would do. That is an interesting part. And I think there are probably other authors that have explored it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Though there, there are some some cool things about it. And I, I don't know if it was a, a comment on that, but I guess when you have sort of dumbass characters mm-hmm. who are there for probably, I don't know about all the wrong reasons, but they're not trained for it. They're not inclined to it. They don't have the right kind of curiosity. So when you have the, I'm not even going to go, whatever their clicks, the, mm-hmm. the, their counterparts. Are, yeah. Yes. their counterparts. And I, I feel like that could really speak to a certain kind of ego. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they were really ripe for that, but then they tried to pull the like ugh, the whole crazy Eddie thing. I... That is so weird. I get the concept, but the idea, and, and I mean, you could argue that the alien stuff is translated into human concepts, yeah. whatever, but consistently and constantly referring to crazy Eddie throughout the whole novel. Yeah, I did, it didn't do it for me. I guess I didn't look up the phrase to see if it had any echoes, you know, or if they, but yeah, I did, that part didn't work. But it's the, oh, well, you know, Rod's Modi went, oh, Crazy Eddie. And 
why he's not a he's not a problem solver he's not <laughs> but sure uh, but I, I thought that part was interesting and only I liked the glimpses that we got like when it was the point of view of the aliens mm-hmm. uh, and maybe because everything else was so so surface they all seemed like the same and then you get like inside there wasn't enough of it I right. think for me I mean as set up they have real problems as a society constant wars because of overpopulation I thought the museum idea was interesting because, again, you've got the humans thinking it's one thing and the aliens are like, no, that's just where we store the useful shit. So that it's kind of like a one planet foundation, you know, like civilization will fall and then we'll have some stuff there to bootstrap them and try and get them up to, you know, as high a level as possible before civilization falls again. Yeah. And that was cool. It just wasn't executed, I think, in a really good way. So, you know, there's these ideas that are put it in there. And so I imagine if you remembered those, you might think like, oh yeah, there was this this cool museum and they thought they were, you know, getting one thing. And then it kind of makes some sense, you know, mm-hmm. that if you had like foreigners or whatever, like you might show them the highlights. And if you've got stuff to hide, you might not put that forward. So I liked that there was a little bit of like maybe logic, you know, that was there. I liked the fact that the humans were lying and the aliens knew it. And so, you know, that part was was interesting. But again, it was mired in so much stuff that I didn't know if that was supposed to be like, this is cool world building or if it's, well, you know, this is a paper thin veneer and we have to have our good reveal a little bit later. But I was, I was disappointed in that. There's part of me that, so the insistence of the admiral. I'm not talking to anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm not. And then immediately going to, well, they're after our secrets and we have to do all of this. And there's the part of me, which is like rebels against that. And, and of course he was completely right. <laughs> of course. Sure. <laughs> He's the king of the jocks. Yeah. He has so to I, be right. Yeah. And I didn't like that. I mean, and that's not fair, but it's just one of those where I was like, oh, no, I don't, I don't like this. <laughs> so there were a couple interesting ideas, but you had to work hard to get them. And, you know, I just started I started skimming. Another thing... Oh, I, I, I should have skimmed more, uh, but I'm too damn stubborn. Another thing that I thought was strange about this was the religion and the Catholicism that, again, after a thousand years, is still essentially unchanged. Uh, despite evidence on this planet of change in religion over a thousand years... You've got exactly the same thing in the year 3000 or whatever as you do now. It just seems, it seemed like in the beginning they were going to make more of it because it specifically talks about how Rod believes in God and you've got the contrast with this new religion that has sprung up because of the laser that the Modis used to launch their ship was seen as a sign for the church of him. And it kind of goes away for a really long time. The chaplain is actually one of the only, I thought, really interesting characters in this because he, in what I think is just a a bizarre choice, is the only one to never close his mind off, keep an open mind about everything, and try to genuinely figure out what's going on instead of just making assumptions. Yeah. I liked that. I liked that part, but it was, yeah, you're right. I lost track. I mean, when he started saying that again, I thought, oh, yeah, I had forgotten that that was who you are. And, you know, there's a certain kind of, you know, if I think about like the, I guess the intellectual branches maybe of like religious study, like, well, okay, like I could kind of see that. I guess I appreciated that we didn't have the, the, you know, the fire and brimstone kind of closed minded. Mm-hmm. You know, I appreciated that this was a more thoughtful I, yes, kind I, of look. I, I thought he was a great character. But they didn't use him well. And they didn't really talk about, like, if they wanted to do that, it seems like, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, like stumbling over it because I think, <laughs> like, Rod's character, like, seemed religious in that stupid, unquestioning way, which is just like, because that's what we do. And not, right. like, any real faith, no real thought, just. Going through the motions. They introduce it so early, and then he never considers it. He never thinks, like, what it could mean for his religion. He's, I don't think, ever prays in 500 pages. Never, in all these terrible moments he has, because he goes through a long period of depression after the MacArthur gets destroyed, the idea of faith is never reintroduced there. Yeah. 
And what a, it could be, a, it's a missed opportunity. Yeah. And I think there were a, a lot of them. Uh, and so it made it feel less like, oh, we're going to give you lots of things to think about. And just, you know, we, we threw a bunch of stuff out there. And, uh, and I don't know if it was just supposed to be like shorthand characterization, if we were supposed to like not really wrestle with those things, don't pay attention to it. I, I don't know. I kept expecting like, like interesting things to happen. <laughs> Okay, that came out like... Reading this book? Yeah, yeah. And I think it was, you know, like, it's called The Moat in God's Eye. I know that was in its original title, and I I blank out on what that was. But, I mean, that's a great... It's a cool phrase. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you have this, and you're like, oh, there's a church built up to it. And no, I don't want to read the whole story of the religion. But, I mean, they kind of, like, popped out of the planet. They, like, sort of, like, get in there. They take a look at it and say, yeah, that was was interesting. Y'all are kind of weird for for worshiping it. Sorry, the beginning, you know, was it the founder of the religion, like commit suicide after something? When the, when the laser stops. Yeah. yeah. It, but nope, that's just sort of a, like a line in the Wikipedia entry. And then they, <laughs> you know, pop back up. And so yeah, they just didn't. And maybe it was because, I mean, they never really focused on the stuff that was happening back home. Really? And I don't know if that would have been a way to sort of talk about, like, the implications of it. I mean, because, again, these are the first aliens. And that's a really big deal. Yeah. And uh, It's all about, like, what are we going to trade with them? Will it crash the economy? Yeah. Is this going to fuck up things for the aristocracy? Right. Which feels depressingly like it probably <laughs> would. But... For a, a large percentage of the people making decisions, that would be a big consideration. Yeah. So, getting towards the end of the book, you've got... They, the, the commission has to make the decision on what's going to happen with the Modis. Are they going to be allowed into the Empire? Are, there, are they going to be allowed to have trade? Will they get space on planets outside of their system? Because they're trapped in their system. That's the whole big thing about this. And it comes down to, a, I mean, it's a three-person commission, right? You've got Rod and Sally and Sally's uncle. I mean, there are, I think, other people on it, but they're the, they specifically, the uncle specifically says, this is our commission, we'll make the decisions, and Sally will go along with it. So, like, you know (laughs) what this commission is actually like in reality. So, Rod becomes convinced that if he votes to exterminate the Modis, because that's one of the options, or even to just not have contact with them and force them to stay in their system, that he will lose Sally over that. After they are already married... And that just seemed like such a childish view of relationships. Like, if you are in a marriage where you cannot have a disagreement like that and discuss, like, the reasons that you are getting to this disagreement, and maybe you never come to an agreement, but you can understand what the you might as well lose Sally then. You didn't give a shit about her for 400 pages. Right. You know, so... Yeah. It, it was something they put in there to try and add a spark of tension to a deadly boring finale. Yeah, and it yeah, and it didn't work at all. So yeah, they didn't really wrestle over it a whole lot. I didn't quite understand the the whole uh, the whole card. Runner's got it. He knows the like, oh, <laughs> what? Where did this come from? Just... So, Renner, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think he was the cool guy that you know, sees through the bullshit on both sides. I thought one of the funniest things in the book, he is the guy that saves humanity, that realizes what's going on, points it out, and the whole truth comes out because of him. And in the end, he is forced to stay in the Imperial Navy (laughs) and work with Burry the criminal the entire time because they want him to. Congratulations, Thanks for helping out. Here's what you get. You do not get to retire. Right. Yeah. Which completely sucks. So, <laughs> haha. Yeah, that was weird. I'm wondering, again, I must have read The Gripping Hand, and maybe I thought there were more interesting things in there. Again, I'm never going to know because I'm not reading it. Right. But I somehow had a, I had a thought that there was a more sympathetic, like more time spent with an alien, like one of the Modis. And Maybe that's what happens in that one. And I thought that relationship was more interesting. Because this one, I mean, it really... We don't get much of that at all. So I didn't... 
I didn't care about the Modis. Not no. really. You know, I mean, it seems pretty brutal. I mean, and wow, like some unthinking thing like, oh, yeah, this Admiral guy just like reduces planets to, you know, I don't know, melty stuff. <laughs> That's the scientific term. Like, like, so we know that they're capable of it. I mean, and so, yes, that seems like a really bad thing. We don't want to do that. But I, you know, I, there was nothing emotional, you know, that I could really... I don't know, like really key into. I didn't really care. The only thing I did think was funny is at the end in the epilogue where like the two Modis or three, however many of them are stuck there, and they just are basically like completely. Was it Sally's like Sally's stupid institute? They're like, <laughs> they're, like their punishment is like, oh gosh, we got to pretend that we care about this dumb thing and pretend. And I was like, that is exactly what Sally deserves. Just <laughs> like people mocking her and. Rod and because I mean she deserved better, but the character that we had right. is just right. you know doesn't doesn't go anywhere. But so I guess I kind of enjoyed like just what like it's like like balloon noise, like deflating <laughs> balloon noise was the ending. I think of of some of this. Yeah, in the beginning, I had this the aliens in this confused with the aliens in um, a couple of Peter Hamilton's books. And I kept thinking that these different things were going to happen. And, you know, after, you know, meeting the Modis, I knew for sure, oh, okay, I have got this wrong. Uh, But yeah, I really expected them to be more interesting, partially because of that, you know, mistaken connection where I thought they were the aliens from a different book. But uh, yeah, there was nothing to them. Their whole society, I don't know, Maybe it's that that writing advice of, like, don't call a rabbit a whatever. You know, if it's an alien rabbit, just call it a rabbit. But, you know, you had King Peter, and you had the castle, and you had all these just human terms, and the ideas were all completely human, because why would you have an alien, alien society? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go like the full, like super stereotypical fantasy thing, you know, where they really add a bunch of things in there. Sure. But but I do think it diminished like the crazy Eddie thing we had mentioned, mm-hmm. where it's just like it's an interesting concept, but the phrasing of it was just so mundane and kind of weird and not really cool. And as you say, like the Charlie and you know whatever their names are, like I understand what they kept saying like you can't say our names, but right. it, there could have been maybe an approximation or something that wasn't. You know, I don't know. I think that pets named after like people are is funny, <laughs> you know. Like, but it's, uh, but that just didn't didn't feel right at all, and it didn't help me differentiate them. And I was trying to entertain myself through, so eventually I could never really visualize what I thought the Modis looked like. So I finally settled on like Homestar Runner. <laughs> But you know, it was that kind of stuff. Like, like, I don't even know. Mixed with like some kind of like sneeches. I don't know. It was weird. But so I guess I was just trying to entertain myself. Uh, yeah. And I, like, I guess I didn't mix them up with any other, you know, aliens. But because then that would have been another layer, I think, of disappointment. Right. Yeah. I love that. the The most interesting part of the aliens, again, was the watchmakers when they mm-hmm. like discover. I don't know what level of inspections is going on on the MacArthur, but they let these watchmakers go for so long that they have rebuilt half the ship and not noticed. But the idea that these creatures just breed fantastically and they hide and they change everything on you, and when you try to take them out, they start fighting. And they start fighting amongst themselves as well as you. That was one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Um, I've got a note here. I realized at the end... The watchmakers feel like if you watch The Trouble with Tribbles and we're like, what if those guys were humanoid? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. They are just a problem that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. They were one of my favorite parts. Yeah. And they were kind of, um, her- yeah, horrific, I think, in, mm-hmm. a, in a way. And there was something that was compelling about, about that. I also thought that it was kind of hilarious. And I mean, it's like... No one's communicating, and you know, because we got to keep all this stuff secret. But when the when the Modis are like, "Oh yeah, like you could not let those things <laughs> <laughs> yes. out," if you had told us, 
we would have been like, no, you you have to let them go. Or, you know, maybe stop and think, you know, um, when it picked the pair up and then just completely, like, just spaced the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Maybe figure it out. Um, but, yeah. It's the one time where they're like, well, these are alien creatures. We can't, you know, we can't lose them. Yeah. Um, but... So that though that part was was pretty great, but also maybe you pay more attention to your ship. Right? What the heck? <laughs> they, they had changed so much, and I mean, they're and they're so weird about. I mean, perhaps rightfully so, but like, oh yeah, look, they customized my my weapon. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe okay. I did lose track. They were hiding in the guns. Yes, they were hiding in the guns, which were a place that were not being used, of course. They weren't fighting, but apparently they weren't inspecting them or cleaning them or doing anything else. And they weren't just in the guns; they were like everywhere. They completely rebuilt the escape pods, so so that when the humans tried to use them, they would be taken to the moon planet (laughs) very conveniently. Right? Yeah, yeah. That was very very nice of them. Great, and then of course they had hiding in the in the spacesuits. That was awesome, delightful. Yeah. Okay, I really did like when they're it because it felt really believable when they were like sort of the oh the brownies. I mean, everyone knows what's happening, but it's like well hell yeah, like these like look you leave some popcorn out and you get something cool in return. Yeah, I would absolutely do that and would believe that and that no one would want to say anything. That that portion of it reminded me of the movie Gremlins, oh, yeah. where like everybody thinks it's cool to start with, and you know everybody wants their own mogwai, and you know then you feed them after midnight and you end up with Gremlins. Yeah, yeah. so that part was awesome. I mean, yeah. I don't know that I would want to read a whole book, <laughs> but in comparison, I would have happily read just that hundred pages. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So if you if you must like just read that that hundred pages because right. yeah that part was neat because there were at least where there were some like human behavior things that felt real mm-hmm. there was a little bit of wonder I mean even though it's it's pretty ridiculous that they can fix these things I mean I don't know maybe like their little bodies can like melt stuff or I don't know and again like I read a well, ton the, of this stuff I don't care but oh, sure I mean the first thing they do is they have to make their own little tools. Yeah. So they make their little tools and they can fix everything else they need. Sure. Right. I mean, you know, I like Doctor Who. The sonic screwdriver can, like, do anything, and yeah. that's fine. But I guess it's maybe then I don't want the the sciencey lecturers, you know, just one one or the other maybe. I don't know. But, yeah. But, yeah, so, so the little horrifying watchmakers. And, again, I'll always have the creepy... That spacesuit. I knew exactly what you were talking so about. Good. It was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So more of that and less of like, and I've said before, I think on this podcast that I enjoy things like the Horatio Hornblower. Mm-hmm. I am not against reading like British Navy stuff, but you have to have the good stuff in there. And they, <laughs> and they didn't, right? I don't think right. people didn't, there was no quite... And the only question of like honor or duty or something was maybe like his Rod's insistence that he was going to go down with the, which just that's felt, just he's just the man's man. That's what the man's yeah, man does. Yeah, and that was so it wasn't interesting. And there was so there was yeah, there was no occasion to rise to. It was not that kind of story. No, like every detail about the naval officers or just the the personnel was ridiculous. Like the one of them is like, oh yeah, I've been drinking scotch since I was eleven. You know, it's not going to do anything to me. Like, <laughs> okay, you're a man's man too, Mister Potter. Sure, sure, <laughs> yeah. Well, I forgot that, but yeah, that was <laughs> ridiculous, and <sighs> yeah, just so many, just so many things. So I guess yeah. you know, congratulations, 1974, or whenever that, yeah, had fun with it, but yeah, yeah, I. I mentioned that I had loved Lucifer's Hammer when I was mm-hmm. in high school. And it was part of that, you know, post-apocalyptic... Because Lucifer's Hammer is the one mm-hmm. where the comet hits the Earth. Mm-hmm. And then people have to, like, rebuild after. And I thought there were some really neat things in there. And again, when you're a teenager, the idea of all the people you don't like getting killed off is super <laughs> enticing. <laughs> yeah. Right? I loved that. But I went back and I tried to read it just not too long ago. Maybe five years. And it... Yeah. It has every problem that this book has, mm-hmm. and I could not get through it. Yeah, yeah. I've read. I mean, I'm not trying to lump them all in, but like you know, as a you know, 
of its time. And mm-hmm. I, I did fairly recently, I think, because of, oh, it was because of the, the Apple TV, like, foundation. Right. So I went and reread that again. And I mean, again, uh, I'm going to guess it's not surprising. Asimov's, like, strength was not character. No. Right? Like, so, and there's still some ingrained, you know, kind of things. But it, a lot of it was still interesting to me. And, mm-hmm. it, and it still helped. And I think it was because there were, there were cool enough ideas and he did enough interesting things with them that I could overlook a lot of the other things. And this one just no, didn't I, do it. I think it wants to be in that same mm-hmm. vein where, you know, I think probably, probably before Asimov, but certainly when he was writing, they talked about science fiction as the language of ideas, where idea mm-hmm. was really all that matters. And it was fine for the characters to be paper thin as they are in this book. And I think that's the kind of thing that these guys were aiming at with this. Yeah. Do you know, I'm just off the top of, do you know when Rendezvous with Rama, is that later, earlier? I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. But I, well, I say that and then we're going to reread it and it'll be like a misery. But I just, (laughs) I seem to remember reading that at least relatively recently, like Mm -hmm. past 10 years maybe I don't know but I thought that one had again like some cool stuff in it it held up so I guess I just have to say I must not be a a Niven and Purnell fan um, which fair enough but it's just not my so I'm and it was just I'm sorry that it was so very long yeah yeah same here what is up with that? Like sort of like like, I mean the stand scoffs at the five hundred some pages, you right? Know, but it's and I didn't have the same kind of fond memories of it. It was more of a curiosity or you know like oh I thought there were some cool things with aliens and I like that and now I just probably have to go back and read like Becky Chambers again or you know just something with some, some something interesting yeah. yeah some yeah. interesting aliens. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, I would not go back to this book again. I read Ringworld when I was in high school, and I remembered enjoying it then, but I don't know that I want to revisit it now, especially since you don't like it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I might have to, like, okay, Brandon, we're good friends, this is the test, <laughs> like, I will I will read this for you, but, uh, no, I don't think I ever, I ever finished it, and I don't even remember specifically why, just maybe it was really dry or something, but uh, yeah. Discworld, much better, even though I've not read a lot of that, but uh, it's like, so sorry for mixing those up for so many years, but yeah, just not my, not my jam. So, a, a fail on the reread thing, though it was a good conversation, I enjoyed oh, talking definitely. about it, but. Thanks for listening. Next time we're going to read My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris.